I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, June 22nd. I'm Michael Guidry in for Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Juneteenth is now a federal holiday but it's yet to be recognized by the state of Mississippi. Plus, a Gulf Coast school district reimagines its calendar. And Mississippi faces an acute blood shortage. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This past weekend, Americans celebrated the first Juneteenth formally recognized as a federal holiday. Mississippi hasn't yet passed legislation to codify Juneteenth as a holiday within the state, but that's not particularly unusual. As of now, only nine states have done so. That number is likely to balloon over the next year, and Derek Simmons, who's Mississippi's Senate minority leader, sees an opportunity to join the pack. Simmons speaks with MPB's Ashley Norwood. At the start of the 2022 legislative session, I, along with several Senate Democrats, will be sponsoring legislation to make Juneteenth a state holiday, along with repealing the Mississippi Confederate Memorial Day. So the attempt to repeal Mississippi's Confederate Memorial Day, is that because the state has a limit on the number of state holidays, or is it because you feel like that holiday shouldn't be celebrated in Mississippi? Well, certainly what we have seen with a lot of the momentum that was gained uh, after the police killing of George Floyd last year, Mississippi did the right thing in trying to shed itself from any ties to the Confederacy by changing our state flag. And so this is an effort to continue with that momentum and try to move Mississippi into the future and not continue to hold on those ties of the past and the Confederacy. What do you expect from some of 
you know, your partners across the aisle. We know in terms of changing the state flag, that was something that took some time. How do you think they will receive this in the next legislative session? Well, I will say this. There are only 14 members of Congress who oppose Juneteenth being a federal holiday, and the entire Mississippi delegation voted in favor of it. And so they represent the same Mississippians that we represent at the state level. And so it is my hope that through a representative democracy, Democrats and Republicans alike will support any effort or any measure to make Juneteenth a holiday in the state of Mississippi. I've heard from some who say that they believe that a counter holiday may come about. For example, they've referenced, you know, we have Martin Luther King Day, then there's Robert E. Lee Day. Do you think that that's something that could come down the pipeline in the future? Well, I certainly don't want to speak to what other members have a right to do as far as sponsoring and supporting legislation. It would be my hope that as we celebrate and embrace our history by confronting and learning of our past, that this will put us in a position to move forward in unity. Now, to do that, we need to move forward in a positive way and not move forward forward in a divisive way. And it's my position that what we did as a legislative body in the 2020 regular legislative session showed that Mississippi could move forward in unity. And that's what I would like to do after the passing of this federal uh, holiday regarding Juneteenth, is to embrace, commemorate the end of slavery in the United States, which was a very, very dark time in America and in Mississippi. Let's move forward in 2022 and beyond in unity, and let's do the right thing in Mississippi regarding making Juneteenth a state holiday. What was your reaction to Juneteenth becoming a federal holiday? Did it make this year's Juneteenth feel any different for you and and your community at all? It did. I will always uh, celebrate Juneteenth, even before the historic move by Congress and President Biden and Vice President Harris last week. It was even more celebratory on this past Saturday, on the 19th. I participated with several members uh, in my district, several residents in my district, other local and elected leaders participated, and it was a different feeling. I was so jubilant when President Biden signed the legislation on Thursday, June the 17th, and it just felt, it felt, it just felt different. It just felt different in a good way on Saturday. Senator, is there anything I didn't ask you that you would like to add? To move forward in unity in America and in the state of Mississippi shows that all Americans and all Mississippians have contributed to the greatness of this country and in this state. And this would be one of the ways that we can continue to, to accept the fact that all Americans and all Mississippians have contributed. So I look forward to the work that is ahead of us in the 2022 regular session and beyond. Leslie Burrow-McLemore, 
who's a prominent civil rights figure and professor at Jackson State University, also notes the symbolic power of Juneteenth. He reflects on his emotions last week when President Biden signed the holiday into law. I was overjoyed to hear that Juneteenth had been declared a federal holiday. It was an indication of this long road, this long struggle for freedom that we've been engaged in from 1619 to the present. And any occasion that we have to celebrate our freedom, any occasion we have to celebrate what we've been able to overcome throughout this long struggle, I was overjoyed because of that. Now, we realize that, you know, because it's a federal holiday, it doesn't necessarily make it a state holiday. And so you have some lawmakers, particularly uh, members of the Black Caucus or Democrat uh, members of the legislature who will be pushing legislation in the next session to make Juneteenth a state holiday and to replace that with what we now have, the Confederate Memorial uh, holiday. What are your thoughts on Juneteenth being a state holiday, being formally recognized in Mississippi as a holiday? I really think it's a no-brainer that we should quickly and as soon as possible declare Juneteenth a state holiday. And I will applaud the Black Caucus and the other members of the legislature who are working to make sure that happens. And if it replaces the Confederate holiday, all to the good, from my perspective. But yes, I think we should celebrate it as a state holiday. And also, since we are celebrating June 10th, Juneteenth, I really hope and trust that one day we would celebrate the birthday of Mecca Evers and Fannie Lou Hamer as state holidays in the state of Mississippi. You know, Mississippi is the blackest state in the nation. So what does that say about the the need for formally recognizing a holiday such as Juneteenth? Well, you know, we really should celebrate the Juneteenth holiday because of the presence of black folk in the population. But now understand clearly, uh, Ms. Norwood, that part of the resistance is because we are the blackest state in the Union. Because we're the blackest state in the Union, we have that resistance from the powers that be that control the levels of authority and power in Mississippi, because they clearly do not wish to see black people share power with them in our state. So it is an ongoing struggle. It's been a struggle since 1890. It's been a struggle since 1619, and the struggle continues. But yes, we should celebrate Juneteenth as a state holiday, and we should have a coalition of people in the legislature, members of the Black Caucus and what Dr. King would call people of goodwill, who would join together to make this a state holiday. Dr. McLemore, is there anything I did not ask you about this that you think is important to add? I just think It's an important point to note that the struggle for freedom is an ongoing enterprise and that we every day have to continue this struggle so we can all be looked upon as first-class citizens in our state and across the nation. So uh, Mississippi has a long ways to go, but we've come a long ways, 
but we must struggle every day in order to make this the state that it ought to be. Coming up, schools still in session in one Louisiana district. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Michael Guidry. After an unprecedented school year, educators are racking their brains for ways to make up for unfinished learning. Some local superintendents in the Gulf states have proposed starting the school year earlier or ending later. And a few want to throw the traditional calendar out completely. That's what's happened when one of Louisiana's smallest districts approved a balanced calendar. From our partner station WWNO in New Orleans, Aubrey Yuhas has the story of how that's going. On the five-hour drive from New Orleans to Cachada, Louisiana, LED billboards remind drivers that school is out for the summer and to keep their eyes peeled for kids on bikes. In most parts of the state, the school year wraps up in May, leaving students with two to three months of summer vacation. But that's no longer the case in rural Red River Parish. We're still on school buses, still traveling down to school at 7.30 in the morning. Getting now at 3.30, still on the same old schedule we've been since, uh, since about September. That's 17-year-old Jaden Young. He's a junior at Red River High School. This year, Young's last day of school is June 29th. His summer vacation is just six weeks long, and he's jealous of his friends who are already on break. Superintendent Allison Hughes says they haven't added any days to the school year. It's not year-round school. It is a balance of instruction is what it is. The long summer break has been chopped up and redistributed. Hughes thinks that will improve outcomes for students. They can now receive targeted support at the end of each quarter and avoid summer learning loss. It was January before we had them reading again, writing again, because they left us and they did, they did not do any of that. And so we just need those teachers in front of those kids as often as we can. Researchers tend to agree that the balanced calendar can be especially beneficial for communities like Cachada. There aren't a lot of summer activities for kids here. 86% of the district's 1,400 students are considered economically disadvantaged, and many are behind academically. In the United States, there are more than 3,000 schools that operate on a non-traditional calendar, but very few are in the South. Corinth, Mississippi, has a balanced calendar that's been in place for five years. In Alabama, the superintendent of Birmingham City Schools tried and failed to get one approved, though this year's summer break is shorter. Over at Red River Elementary, Principal Mike Beck spends his days popping in and out of classrooms. We're seeing kids that have productively struggled throughout their educational time at the elementary level that the light bulb has gone off and they're starting to feel good about it. Beck says attendance has gone up this year and discipline cases have gone down. Early test scores are showing improvement. Many of the veteran educators at the school love the balanced calendar and the teachers union also backs it. But Beck says he's still fielding concerns. I mean, I think it's a combination of those that understand the value of it and those that are trying to balance, well, that's my time with my family. So I, I think it's a mixed bag. I don't think you're ever going to win everybody over. And they haven't. Last week, a parent started an online petition 
calling for an end to the balanced calendar. It received more than 600 signatures within a few hours. Remember, this is a district with only 1,400 students. A small number of families have already left Red River schools, and others are considering it. Parents, like Roxy Gray-Relliford, are also frustrated by another practice that started during the pandemic. Fridays have become remote learning days, so teachers can lesson plan. As a parent, it's just, it's exhausting. Relliford was initially in favor of the balanced calendar, but says her three children have struggled. She quit her job earlier this year to help them with remote learning. My, my daughter, she's a straight-A student. She's never had a B. Progress report Thursday, she got two Bs, and it's, you know, they're burnt out. Administrators have told parents like Relliford to be patient. They believe the stresses families are experiencing are necessary growing pains. The balanced calendar has been reapproved by the Red River Parish School Board for the coming year, along with the remote Friday schedule. Superintendent Allison Hughes wants to keep it that way, as long as she thinks it's working. You really just have to do this. You just have to jump off the bridge and, and you have to swim. And you have to, you have to swim hard through the rough waters and, and coast in the calm waters. Red River was the first district to make the change in Louisiana. Its neighbor, Webster Parish, has already approved its own balanced calendar. And other districts are exploring those same waters. In Cachada, Louisiana, I'm Aubrey Juhas. This story was produced by the Gulf States Newsroom, a collaboration between WWNO in New Orleans, WBHM in Birmingham, Alabama, Mississippi Public Broadcasting, and NPR. Coming up... Mississippi's blood supply remains low despite the lifting of pandemic restrictions. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, this is Noelle King from NPR. There's a lot to keep up with in the news. And one way you can help, donate that vehicle you're not using anymore. It could be worth hundreds of dollars in support. Thank you, and here's how to get started. Donate your car, motorcycle, boat, or RV by going to mpbonline.org. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Michael Guidry. Mississippi's struggles with its blood supply are well documented. They've been compounded by the COVID-19 pandemic, and even as restrictions lift, the state enters the summer facing shortages of all blood types. Stephen Houck is clinical director of the Mississippi Center for Emergency Services. He tells MPB's Kobe Vance, blood plays a critical role in emergency medicine. We can provide a lot of equipment and supplies and care to patients. But one thing we can't make on our own is blood. Blood products have to be donated, obviously. So that is one thing that is really life-saving that we take to the patient because one of our philosophies with air care is we don't want to just provide a fast ride. We want to take the care to the patient. 
And one of the most beneficial things we can bring to patients, especially trauma patients, is blood, life-saving blood, because we carry fluids and a lot of medicines and things like that, but only blood carries oxygen in the body. So a lot of times that is exactly what the patient needs to address their injury so that they can make it to a trauma center or an operating room where they can get that final treatment or surgery they need to stabilize their condition. So having that blood on board the helicopter really helps us bridge the gap between getting from the field to the endpoint destination where they can receive the care they need. And what are stocks looking like right now? I haven't talked to the blood banks specifically, so I would not want to guess. But uh, just I've heard that they're pretty low right now, and everybody's really pressing to get people to come to these blood drives. You know, every little bit helps. We would try to advertise them to get employees and citizens. It really makes a difference. If you can give this month or if you can't give this month, try and do it next time you can. So that's really what we're pushing right now is just if you've got some free time to get out there, donate, and help save a life, a life that maybe someone you know or you're related to. So you never know who might benefit from this. Can you tell us a little bit about those blood drives? Yeah, so they're uh, they're done by the Mississippi Blood Services, MBS, and they come out, they bring their, their big van, and you go in, and they've got really friendly staff, and they make sure you're comfortable. They talk you through the process because I know a lot of people are afraid of needles, but it's not intimidating. They talk you through the whole thing. It's relatively quick, especially for the benefit that you're giving to a stranger. You, it is a needle stick, but it's a little pinch, and you might save someone's life because of that discomfort. How often do you all need to use uh, blood supplies? Oh, it's very frequently. I think last year alone we gave almost 474 units, which is a lot of blood. You know, Mississippi, we're very rural, so there's a lot of trauma, especially agricultural trauma, NVCs, things like that. So we we may go a day without giving any blood, and then the very next day we may use every unit that we have at every base that we have. So you never know, but the demand is always there, and um, we're always in need. Do you have any goals for this ongoing blood drive? Last I heard is we were trying to get 100 units at each of our uh, blood drives that we've partnered with through AirCare and MBS. And now I know some people have you know, very specific blood types that might not be that O positive that's universal. Do you all need all blood types or is, it, or is there any that stands out to be of more significance? Well, O negative, O positive, those are really useful because they can be used on almost anybody. But honestly, any blood type is welcome and needed. So I would say, regardless of what your blood type is, please come out, give, donate, and uh, make a difference. When it comes to, you know, in the medical field, what is y'all's experience with the blood shortage? Anytime you have a shortage of resources, you really have to consider what you're doing when you're giving it. And you hate to have to think about that because you want to be able to provide everything you can for the patients. But like I said, blood is one of those things we can't, we can't manufacture it in a factory. We can't buy it out of a catalog. It's one of those things that we can only get from other patients and other citizens. So if people aren't giving, then that affects how much we can give when we can give it. And you never want to be in that situation where you're looking at your blood cooler and it's empty and you're thinking, I really need this to save someone's life and I don't have it. That's a terrible feeling in a position no one ever wants to be in, especially as a healthcare provider. Is there anything else that stands out to you about um, this Mississippi's ongoing blood shortage that has been go going on for years and years? You never know whose life you may save. It makes a difference. It's a, just a little bit of time out of your day, 
and it can really have a big impact on other people. It may be a stranger, could be a family member, could be a friend. You never know. It, it might even come back to you. You never know. So if you have a few moments, if you have a day free, come out, give, and help us do our job so that we can you know, provide the best care possible. And if Mississippians are a bit concerned about giving blood, what would be your message to them? The biggest concern is honestly just a, a little pinprick. I know nobody likes needles, but it's a little bit of discomfort. And again, the gain and the benefit is immeasurable. Stephen Houck is clinical director of the Mississippi Center for Emergency Services. Uh, Stephen, thank you for talking with us today. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.